0: The Bible says I'm the reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. That's my, I'm under orders. I'm under authority. I'm under the authority of the Word of God. I'm under the authority of the Holy Spirit. I'm under the authority of the deacon board, Gospel Baptist Church. A man always needs to be under authority. Total power corrupts totally. If you get where you have no authority over you, you'll go crazy. It'll mess you up. And I'm required by God to do numbers of things, numbers of things as a pastor. Someday I'll answer to him for how well I obeyed his instructions as far as what I preached to you and how much of the Bible. Did I preach the whole counsel of God or did I just preach the palatable counsel of God? In other words, I just told you folks things that you'd like to hear, uh, You know, and the Bible said there'll become a time when people will have itching ears. They'll heap to themselves teachers, the people having ears wanting to be pleased, itching ears. Because when something itches, you want somebody to itch it, right? Like I went to my wife the other day, and we've been married 50 years now, folks. I went to my wife and did this. That simply means, in sign language, I got an itch right there, please help me out. And she gets them old claws and she digs into that and it's just, ooh, it's just wonderful. People, churches, heap to themselves preachers that'll tell them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. That's not Gospel Baptist Church. And I'm not, I'm not, Proud of being rude or proud of being tough. I'm just trying to be biblical. That's all I'm trying to be. So today I'm going to preach to you something that may rub the cat the wrong way. But it's something that's so Bible that I'm willing to die for. The title is What is Wrong with Touchy Feely Christianity? What is wrong? with touchy-feely Christianity. Now, we live in a culture they call PC culture, political correct. Oh, you can't say anything. Word. People are losing lifelong jobs because they said one word. They said a word that the, the, the touchy-feely folks didn't like. So they fired a guy. I mean, a guy may have been 35 years an announcer, faithful, and he said one word. Think about it. One word that had in the past been used. But now this new touchy-feely PC progressive group, oh, you can't use that. And they fire the guy. They literally get rid of a good guy, proven, tested good guy, because he said one word that didn't Like They're vicious. First of all, I want you to get the idea that touchy-feely group are not kind and wonderful and sweet. They're vicious. They're ruthless. Less. but they're still touchy-feely you really know some people in this group I'm sure of it so what is the touchy-feely it's a philosophy it's an ideology concerning who God is and how God is supposed to treat these people and supposed to act uh, it's represented this touchy-feely philosophy ideology is represented by large denominations uh, have adopted it. Um, when did it start? It started when women began to take positions of leadership in the church. That's enough to get me thrown out of 95% of most churches. People, some ladies in this church said, if you want to be a woman at Gospel Baptist, you got to be tough. You really don't, you just got to be biblical. You got to accept the Bible for what it says on your who you are, and the man said. But it did. It began when women took physicians that were forbidden in the Bible to take in the local church. It started first in the most liberal denominations because it makes sense. Your Bible-believing moderate fundamental groups would not put up with it. It started in the Methodists, which now is a women-woman-led group. It ran to the Lutherans, which now is a woman-led group. The Pentecostal group, at 90-some percent of the Pentecostal group, is a woman-driven movement. They went into the non-denominational group. Now, what is that? That's everybody who doesn't want to be a Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, or Pentecostal. They just say, well, we're just non-denominational. I'm not sure what that means. But a generic, let's say, group. It showed up in mega churches, generic churches, using generic Bibles, listening to generic songs and generic sermons. Men were driven into the closet. Leadership and staff were asked to sign work agreements that they believed and supported the feminist movement. I'm not making this stuff up. I wish I was. You know a church called Willow Creek up in Chicago? He, that boy who started that, made everybody who worked for him sign a statement that they were in support of the feminist movement, which believe women can hold the same offices as men hold as pastors and deacons. Now look, I'm not spending any time this morning proving this to you. It is so obvious in Scripture that it's a male-driven book that I should not have to talk about that at all. The 12 apostles were all. The 12 tribe leaders were all. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were. Adam was a... The leaders of the local churches were all. All the pastors and deacons were all. It's just it's just from one end to the other of the Bible. It's just one end to the other. And I you say, Brother Bill, how is it that you got these women preacher? Trust me, I don't know. Except they're in open defiance of God and his Bible. Do you believe the Bible is the word of God? You say you do. But do you really, when it rubs you the wrong way and when it, does, when it disagrees with your philosophy or ideology or what grandma believed, well, I hope you do. So what it was, it, uh, the touchy feel is a dumbing down of the Bible, the eliminating of much of the Bible as significant, and an adopting of, of a couple handfuls of major doctrines and so how do they live with what they do is they just believe really the Bible, the Bible that you and I, you and I carry, the old King James Bible is about oh, 30 percent the word of God. I mean thirty percent that you gotta die for. The seventy percent is optional. Maybe you wanna live that way, maybe you don't. Went to, a guy wants you in New York City on the on the street, you know, man on the street. And he said to the people, "Do you believe the Ten Commandments are commandments?" And you couldn't believe how many of those people said, I, "I don't think they're commandments. I think they're suggestions. Now if you don't believe the Ten Commandments are commandments, where are you coming from? The Ten Commandments folks are absolute. The first seven, the violation of the first seven of the ten commandments, the, the penalty for violation was death. There were commandments. It's not God suggesting that you don't covet your neighbor's stuff. It's not God suggesting that you don't commit adultery. It's not God suggesting you honor your mother and father. It's a commandment from God Almighty. What took the place of old-time religion, which is Bible-believing 100% front to back, was a thing called Health and Wealth Gospel. I've spoken on it a numbers of times. It is, what, in essence, Health and Wealth Gospel, which is represented by many large groups today, very popular on the Internet, is is that God is good, and I agree with that, amen, God is good. But their conclusion is, He only wants good for His people. I agree with that, except they define good differently than I do. I define good based on what I find in here, They define good on what they humanly believe to be good. And thus, because God only wants good on their definition for his people, good is defined as God wants you healthy. So that means all you sick people are under judgment of some kind. And God wants you wealthy. That means all you poor people are under judgment of some kind. And God wants you to have no pain, because a good God would never cause you to have pain. That means all you people in pain this morning, or have been in pain, or are in pain, are out of the will of God and under the judgment of God somehow or another. And God wants you to have a successful life based on health, wealth, no pain, in good shape, everything's coming up roses. That's the philosophy of the health and wealth. Now, I ask you a question. What would Job say if he was here this morning about this? Do you think Job felt close to God when he was covered with boils? How many here have had a boil? Come on, confess it up. Against HIPAA. And I'm telling everybody you had one, by the way. <laughs> like people say, Oh, now, you sign this so that we don't share. I said, share my records with anybody that asks. I don't even care. Who knows about me? What is the deal of HIPAA? I don't get it. So, a boil. Mama. Oh, if you haven't had one, you should at least have one. I mean, you ought to have one. I can't tell you where I had the boil, but man, I had a bo- I've had numbers of boils through the years. I dove, th- I dove for 30 days straight every day and wore a wetsuit. A wetsuit contains a certain amount of bacteria, even though we bleached it and wash it every other day. And what happens is once in a while you get a boil. Ooh, brother, that's all you can think about. Your whole mind goes to that boil. That boil radiates through your whole brain system. I can't imagine Job having boils head to toe. Could you? You can't. You cannot imagine. But let's just give it a shot. How close do you think Job fell to God when he was scraping? Wait a minute. I can't even think of touching the boil. I can't imagine taking it and scraping the pus as it would mount up, he would scrape. By the way, he went into ash, and that was really good for him. Ash is just antibacterial, I guess. I mean, I've got to be careful what I say here in my medical. But uh, he was in ashes, and he had, He was scraping the boils. Brother, remember when you lost that skin off your foot? Imagine somebody scraping it. Ooh. Come on. The health to wealth gospel people, the feely touchy folks would say, When those kind of things happen, God's God's a long way from you. But the truth is, God was as close to Job then as he was when he felt good. That's the truth about it. Scraping off that stinky pus in agonizing pain, Job was close to God. Having done nothing to deserve that, in fact, the Bible says just the opposite, he had been very careful to follow God's word in every way, sacrificing for his children just in case they had done something wrong. In Job 1.1, uh, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz, his name was Job, and a man's name was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now, this, fearing God and eschewing evil is hating evil. That's an attitude. Let me ask you, i got to stop there. What's your attitude towards evil? Fearing God's respecting what God says is true, and because of that, you hate evil. Now I'm not talking people, I'm talking evil. Do you hate abortion? Do you hate murder? Do you hate stealing? Do you hate lying? Do you hate all that stuff that ruins people and destroys a society and makes it unlivable? Hey man, I hate all that. I hate it in myself. Brother, uh, Dr. Strange brought it up in Sunday school. A thought will go through your mind. I had a thought go through my mind last week. And I got down on my knees and said, Jesus, that's not me. That's not me. In the name of Jesus, I, re- I, I renounce and denounce that thought. It's wicked. It's wrong. If you fear God and eschew evil. That bothers you when that happens. You don't sit there and dwell on it, imagine on it, meditate on it. People that meditate on evil and watch pornography or things that you're not supposed to see and rejoice on it, whether it be on YouTube or any other avenue, and you rejoice on that stuff, you're not fearing God and skewing evil. Because that's an Attitude. And if I have an attitude to fear God, which means to obey him and respect him and to, and to hate what he hates and to love what he loves, I'm not going to subject myself to that. That was Job. It says in verse 5, And it was so when the days their feasting were done, and Job sent and sanctified them as sons and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, so he sacrificed for them. And the Bible said, thus did Job continually. So one to not a one-time thing. Job so cared about his children that he sacrificed for them. And just in case they may have done some things that were wrong, he was an upright guy. What would you do if this kind of tragedy came to you? Would you feel that God had forsaken you? Health and wealth people would. That's why this is such a horrid, horrific, awful philosophy. It may sound like, oh, it's making a bunch of people happy, but ultimately it condemns you. Because there's nobody lives through this life without having trouble. I think it is Job 14.1 says, A man's life is short and full of trouble. I send that to people I love. I sent it to old Bob Carney one time, and. Bob and I text back and forth. I said to Bob Carter, I, man, days are, uh, few, days are few and full of trouble. Uh, Joe fourteen one, And he said, gee, thanks for the encouragement, preacher. Well, it was encouraging to know the truth. That way I'm not surprised when it happens. Don't expect a rose garden. I want to kind of go off into song now. That's what's kept my wife together. <laughs> My wife and I together for 50 years. I'm bragging now My 50 years, man. I'm bragging ground now. It wasn't because I was a good guy and all the ladies said. It wasn't because I treated her so well. It wasn't because we give God the glory, of course, for it all, right? It was because at the very beginning of our relationship, I did not promise her a rose garden. I did not promise her all sunshine, and she 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 uh, came up under the load and understood there'd be days of trouble. Amen and amen. Now we've been surprised at how wonderful it has been, and it has it's been a great fifty years, fabulous fifty years. I thought it was going to be a little tougher now, but she got right with God. And I did too. So would you feel God had deserted you or possibly God did not exist if something real bad came into your life? Would you accuse God of fault? That's what the friends of Job were at. Where were the three friends of Job? Well, they were basically saying, you know, you must have done something in secret that nobody knew about because God don't punish good people. He wasn't punishing Job he was testing Job. Don't get confused with punishment and testing. God tests us. Untested metal, you wouldn't want to build something out of it. You got to have tested metal. God's looking for tested children of God, and every one of them, will, every one of us in this room, are going to be tested, have been tested, and will be tested. You are what you believe. Your beliefs are the rudder of your ship. And a rudder is a small little thing compared to the rest of the ship. But it steers the direction. Your philosophy, your ideology steers which way you go. It steers your reactions and your decision-making. So if God is good and only wants good for his people, then explain Job for me and to me and what happened to him. Because his friends condemned him as a secret sinner, pronounced on him their health and wealth gospel, Convinced him God only does good to his people and that God defined, and and that is, uh, by the way, defined by them and humanly viewed. But I believe there's another explanation for what happened to Job and what happens to the children of God all through the ages. And it has nothing to do with touchy, feely, fuzzy, warm philosophy. Uh, It has to do with a higher. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. Uh, Things that are eternal, things that are spiritual, things that are lasting. God knows that this world is just a passing dream, just a passing moment, that it's going to be boom, 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 and over. He's not so concerned with your touchy-feely, your, whether you're in pain, not in pain, whether you're wealthy or not wealthy, whether you're poor or rich, or whether you got struggles or infirmities. He cares more about your eternal outcome, higher things, nobler things, things of eternity, things that last. How does He help you make sure you don't lose out on eternity? He puts you into the school of suffering. By the way, the school of suffering is mandatory. It's a mandatory class for the spiritual child of God. Jesus himself, our leader, one that we're to imitate, follow after, be like Jesus. He, he went through the school of suffering himself. Hebrews chapter 5, you want to look it up? It's a great place. It's a, It's really deep truth in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 through 11. Who in the days of his flesh, talking about Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with strong crying and tears. Now, where was that? At least at Gethsemane. Probably other times also. Unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard, and that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. There were certain things that even God had to go through to know exactly what they were like. In verse nine and being made perfect, complete, fit for His journey, as you said this morning, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that believe and obey Him, uh, all them that obey Him. Call of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say, and I love this last part, he says, And hard to be uttered. Why? Seeing you're dull of hearing. What I'm teaching on this morning is not for immature people. Not for biblically ignorant people. It's for people who have walked long enough to have read the word of God, to have, have walked with God long enough to understand that this life is not where we put our marbles. This ain't where you put all your stuff. It's on the next one, which has no end. I suffer the same temptation you suffer. I want to, my grip on this world wants to be ever so tight. I think, brother, the Holy Spirit led you this morning to talk about, we want to go to heaven, then we pray real hard, they don't. And so I I I I have, I have, Seen the irony that you mentioned? Oh, heaven's my home. I'm just a passing through. Oh, some there are my treasures laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels they beckon me to heaven's golden shore. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. You got cancer. You're going to die. Oh no, not that! Stop it. It's a ticket to ride. It's a ticket to ride. God gives you, someday, sometime, somewhere, God's going to take you home. Don't go kicking and screaming. Go glory to God. Rejoice that God has allowed you to be able to be here as long as you've been here. And to be able to get to go, you get to go home now. It's an irony, isn't it? I suffer the same things you do. I want to. This life becomes everything when really I constantly am taking my fingers and prying my fingers off of this stuff. Jesus. Woo! A lot went on in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know what went on. All of what went on, you would never know because it was between him and his father, and it was a it was a fact of he was he was he was he was still flesh in this world. He was about to become sin, and though he was sinless, lots of big things were going on. But I can tell you one thing from the Bible, Hebrews five. He was learning to be a better high priest because of the things he suffered. And I can tell you this, I guarantee, as the old boy said, I guarantee you that if he had to go through suffering to be a better high priest, we're going to have to go through suffering to be a better Christian, to be a better servant, to be a better, we should not, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Peter's books, Peter, you know, Peter, Peter, James, and John. Peter's books are full of this teaching I'm talking to you about, this school of suffering. He says, let me give you one. 1 Peter 4.19, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Going back to to Great McMurtry, you need to believe the world was created just like it says in Genesis 1.1. All true. The, the, the Old Testament and New Testament, it talks about God being the creator of the universe. Here we are, almost to the end of the New Testament in Peter, in chapter 4, verse 19, he talks about him being the faithful creator. If you don't believe that, you're going to have a hard time, aren't you? How about this? Paul, Paul's books are full of this teaching. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10 says, For we would not, brethren, have ignorant of our trouble." Which came to us in Asia. For we were pressed out of measure, above strength, in so much that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves. Many of you know that I've been diagnosed with melanoma in my right ear. That's a gift from God. It's a gift. What is he doing? He's telling me, you have the sentence of death on you. Shape up. Get right. Be close. Keep frosty. For the time of your redemption is coming. That may not be now, it may not be a year from now, but the time of my redemption is coming. And so he said, Why does bad things happen to you? So that you won't trust in yourself. I hear people say, I'm 90 years old. Both my parents died in their 100. That don't mean anything. I got a doctor here to say amen. Just because your parents lived to 100 doesn't mean you're going to make it to 91. Your days are numbered. And your breath is in God's hand. Daniel, under Belshazzar, remember Belshazzar? He said, you did not recognize and honor the God in who holds your breath. I thought that's an interesting statement. And he said, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver. He delivered, past tense. He doth deliver, present tense. He will deliver future tense. Well, that's a three-point sermon right there if I ever saw one. We all need to grow, folks. We all need to grow. God knows the best way to grow. To Moses, it was 40 years in Egypt, learning how to be a somebody, and 40 years in the wilderness, learning how to be a nobody. To Elijah, it was after a greatest victory any prophet ever had, running down to the wilderness, getting under a juniper tree and asking to die. I'm not worthy to live. To Jacob, it was being cheated, lied to, mistreated for some 20 years by his father-in-law. All I can tell you, what a man will do for a woman. To Paul, it was being hated and hounded by the Jews and Gentiles his whole life. To Stephen, the first deacon, it was the uh, first deacon to be martyred, it was being stoned to death in his early part of his ministry by the Sanhedrin. No one gets out of the Christian life without going through God's school of growth. God's value system is so much higher than ours. And he cares about you. And if I may say this, he, he wants you to prosper for all eternity, not just a hundred years or less that you live here. Second Peter three seventeen eighteen. 18, I love it, says, Therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away the error of the wicked. What's the error of the wicked? Their temporalness. They don't think there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. That's a bad error. The rejection of God, that's a bad error. They're not they're, they're they're denial of an afterlife and a supernatural and a creator. That's a bad error. Beware lest you don't be that you're not led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But what's it say? But grow in grace and in the knowledge that's what's going on this morning, the knowledge, the word of God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, that's you. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you. Not maybe coming, but there's a fiery trial coming to try you. And many of you could say, Preacher, I've been through this fiery trial. Oh, man, I was through this. trial yes. Then you got over it and you went through another fiery trial. Oh, yes, preacher. Then I had a third fiery trial. But here's amazing, verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. But rejoice, insomuch as you're partakers of Christ's suffering. That when his, when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. There it is again, the eternal, the eternal things. So when I went to the uh, dermatologist and they took a biopsy of my ear and they said it was melanoma, I've had basal cell, I've had squamous cut out, big old holes and stuff, and I'm I'm familiar with being cut, disfigured. And she said it's melanoma and you got to get in here and get it cut off and all that stuff. And Of course, I've been familiar with melanoma. I've known people in our church die from melanoma. And so I thought, well, well. I got with God and I says, well, what are we doing now? You got something for me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm supposed to rejoice. Rejoice. Now, sometimes I have a pitiful attitude. <laughs> I'm human. I have feet of clay. Once in a while, I want to get a little sorry for myself. Why couldn't Kathy have some of this? Why has your health been perfect all these years? I've been the one under all these various things I've had wrong with me. And he just tells me, shut up. I said, is she that much of a better person than me? answer comes back, yes. Here we go. Folks, don't think it's strange when a fiery trial comes your way. Expect it from God. Hang on for the ride. My wife loves it, to ride roller coasters, just one of her favorite things of all time, is to get in the wildest, craziest, flip around up and down, she never gets seasick, and so she just doesn't have motion problem, motion sickness problem. and so she loves to get on there, and you know, take her hands off the bar, and sc- she's real vocal, if, if you've ever been on one of those rides, it was her screaming, I can't do it, because I hurt my voice, but she just screams. She gets done she says, man, that was fun." That's what being married to me will do you to. You just got to get it out. Scream. And you know there's nothing wrong when God brings some trouble by you to be, to cry, Jesus cried. I'm sure Paul cried some. I'm sure those boys that went through and people that have gone through God's hand, but when you get out of the school, it worketh with the peaceable fruit of righteousness which is forever. You want to be like Jesus? Get ready. God wants you to be like him. Don't you give in to this touchy, feely, health and wealth, progressive. Everything's going to come up roses for you if God loves you. Don't you believe it? It's not Bible. All you have to do to get over that is to read your Bible. Don't believe me. Just read your Bible. It'll tell you. It'll help you. Father, help us. Thank you for the few minutes together. Uh, save these people and those who are listening by internet, wherever this goes, from being deceived by this touchy-feely philosophy, and then being disappointed in God when trouble comes. Possibly pointing a finger at God and accusing you, Father, because it's not, you mean good for us, and everything that comes our way, as painful as it may be, is from heaven. Because you love us, and you gave yourself for us. And you want to build something much bigger than what this earth can build. You want to build something eternal, something real, something that will stand the time Father, we pray that there be somebody in this room without Christ, their personal Savior. They have to face all this life alone. They have to face trouble without your help. May they consider Christ as becoming their Savior and their Lord, forgiving all their sins with his precious blood, placing their simple childlike faith upon him. Father, do a great work here. Thank you for those who are baptized today and a public profession of the faith that they have. God, we pray that you'd continue to work among us save folks. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239- 9471285 thank you and god bless